Global Business Insights Podcast from PS Learning, featuring your hosts, Dr. Charlotte de Brabant and Max Kent, bringing you the leading global experts and thought leaders from all industry sectors to give you cutting-edge key insights into the future of business, technology, and thought leadership. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining our Global Business Insight podcast. And I'm so thrilled to be joined by my partner in crime, Max Kent, and a very good friend of mine, Burka Cemo. Um, He's not only a thought leader, but definitely has a lot to say in the field of business ethics of the future. Um, Burkhard, why don't we just dig right into it? Would you like to just start by introducing yourself and most importantly, maybe giving us a little introduction of your latest production? Yeah, thanks, Charlotte and Max. I think it's a pleasure of being here. And thank you so much of having the opportunity to speak about one topic that's super close to my heart, which is business ethics. And uh, let me introduce myself a little bit. So I, I come from a from an entrepreneur background. So I founded a few startups myself, then spent a couple of years in consulting, uh, and then moved on to Amazon to run the B2B business for large customers in Central Europe. And over the course of the last years, I did a lot of side projects left and right. Uh, I worked actually with academia a lot on uh, joint partnerships and initiatives. Um, I uh, have a think tank around the future of living where we evaluate the idea of living in tiny homes uh, in order to solve the, the problem of increased housing costs and increased space that is needed. But one topic that's really closest to my heart, I must say, is the topic of business ethics. And I came to this topic as a part of research of one of my latest books, which is called Change Ship. Change Ship as a word of change management and leadership. Um, and the, the idea of this book is that I wanted, I wanted to give leaders an insight into building and scaling what I call next generation businesses in a digital polypole. And the essence of this book is basically that any business can be market leading globally in three to five years, as long as you solve a few of the basic questions how businesses are run. And over the course of the research for this book, I realized that actually business ethics is one of the most interesting topics. And mostly because it's a topic that, first of all, is not so much on the radar of everyone. So thanks to this podcast, we're going to fix that probably for a few audience today. Uh, and secondly, it's, uh, it's one of the game changers because when you talk to younger generations of people, then everybody is interested in business ethics. Everybody wants to talk about how sustainable leadership can be done. Everybody wants to talk about what is this more than ESG standards? What is it more than just reducing a carbon footprint? And this is all about business ethics. So how do you see this ethics evolving in the future, Burkhardt? Because I think there's going to be some people listening in that when they hear the word ethics, they think, oh, that's something that we need to think about, something we need to ad- adhere to. We are ethical as a business. But they, do they really know? And I'm sure there has to be more of an evolution to this, doesn't there? Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, part of the discussion of business ethics is to, first of all, define what this means. And to me, there is five dimensions to business ethics that one should look into it. And it's very simple things that actually, back to your question, are not really new, but I'm coming to this in a minute, what's the new thing. But the five questions is essentially, 
uh, what should companies sell at which price to whom and how the sales process should be structured this goes back to the the if you will honesty in the sales process and then lastly what's the bigger impact that a business should have in the society and those five dimensions are are very universal and they they work basically in all cultural backgrounds in all countries everywhere globally the nuances are are a bit different and um, when i think about how this should evolve then as those topics are around for quite some time i think many businesses really struggle in implementing this and they struggle in defining what are the the areas and how do you how do you really um, how, how do you really bring it down and boil it down to very concrete actions and how do you bring it throughout your own organization and i think the evolving part in the future is that every business that is that is currently either new built or restructured or anyway transformed into the current current status where we are every business has to have an ethical component there's no way around it because society demands it your employees demand it and you will just be out of business if you don't have a business where ethic is really at the core and i think that's great news on the one hand side on the other hand side it creates a lot of pressure to businesses because it's simply an area that that although it's around for quite some time people have to really actively work on it Thank you so much for sharing, Burkert. And actually, one other question, if you could just elaborate on some of the biggest challenges, actually, um, that businesses are, are facing at the moment in order to maintain the ethical standards. Yeah, thanks, Charlotte. I think it's a very good question. And I would even go further. I think the, the challenges are in, in two ways. First of all, it's the actual implementation of a new ethical framework into the organizations. Because in the past, many corporations have focused on complying, obviously, with all legal standards in the market they operate, and then put a little bit on top in terms of sustainability, ESG, um, and, and probably diversity, and a couple of other of these aspects. And, uh, and I think in the future, that's, that's not good enough anymore. In the future, we have to go deeper. And the challenges are really to define what this means. And let me give you a very concrete example. I talked about the five dimensions of ethics earlier. And one is, um, which products should you produce or sell? And obviously, globally, there's probably a couple of things that are globally accepted as products that should not be for sale. And the most prominent example is human organs. So you would probably not build a business around selling human organs anywhere in the world. That's super simple. But then when it comes to other uh, products, let's take weapons, for example, or cigarettes, then it's not so clear, right? I mean, should you sell, should you produce weapons and sell them? And then you would probably say, well, weapons for the police might be okay, maybe in a democratic country, but what about weapons for police in a non-democratic country? What about weapons for uh, for other countries or for dictatorships, right? Um, so it's it, it's a lot of gray areas, and that's my second point. I think the all the ethical dimensions sound super easy at the beginning, but then for each and every business, you've got to define it 
very granular what it means. And then you need to implement it throughout all business functions and all, all corporations. I mean, it's, it's really interesting because we've seen ESG come in as much more of a, um, an impactful strategy that everyone needs to consider probably in the last three to four years. Um, you've had the climate reports come out that talk about global warming. It's really driven that kind of carbon impact and all those things that plays into the ESG conversation. So you've got businesses there going, well, what do we do? So I think it's a massive area. But then as we've seen, we've got very quick, fast emerging technologies such as ChatGPT, AI, blockchain coming out right into the middle of all of this, where you've got companies going, well, we should think about ethics before they've even had a chance to do that. And we've had lots of information on the podcast about how ChatGPT and AI is going to affect things from job roles to everything else. Where's your take on the ethical considerations of this? Because I think it's going to be a massive thing for companies and, and just, just purely down to the use of these tools as a starting point. Yeah, no, it's absolutely. And I think it's it's one of the uh, big biggest challenges probably because um, you need to basically build ethical considerations into the algorithms. And as I said earlier, it's already difficult to build in the gray areas of ethics into your normal business. So how do you build this into algorithms? Um, I mean, a couple of considerations. Recently, a few of the leading machine learning and AI scientists have asked for a stop in development, especially related to ChatGPT and other tools like this, in order to discuss those questions. So I think it's probably not realistic to stop the development, but I think the discussion and, and the idea of, of publicly raising awareness is a good thing. The other thing is, I think we... We have a few countries in Europe, and Germany is one of them, that already has ethical rules around in, in form of, of laws that, that regulate what companies should do or not do, specifically to self-driving cars. So when you think about self-driving cars, then one of the biggest considerations is if an accident is unavoidable, what should that car do? Should it hit the 80-year-old people to the right side of the street or the 10-year-old toddler or young kid to the left side of the street? And I don't say I have the answer to this, but there is a law which you can read which basically regulates for Germany how algorithms should behave in this case. Um, so, and I think part of that is probably that um, we we need to generally get those technologies regulated and it's probably funny that I'm saying that because many years I was against regulation at all, but you know I became a bit older and wiser, and I realized that some things just have to be regulated, and especially those critical points as uh, as ethical considerations. And that obviously, as I said, requires a discussion in the society what what is acceptable. And similar to my earlier example about weapons, I think weapons. Is is a different case in many countries. There's countries that are more 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 relaxed about weapons, and others are more strict. And and so as is probably in in many ethical questions similar to the self-driving cars. So I think the countries have to come up with regulations, and then the industry has to comply with them. So interesting, absolutely. What an interesting discussion, actually, and and the whole regulations on on AI. Thank you for sharing this this example. And yes, I I also wouldn't have the answer, but uh, this is definitely an a, an area of field where more exploration has to be done. 
Um, and and I would, also, Charlotte, yeah. because those things change over time. I think um, when you think of ethical considerations, um, then, uh, and we're talking about business ethics here, but think about mm. personal ethics, then they, they change over time, right? I mean, I remember when, yeah. when I was younger and you would arrange a meeting with a friend on Sunday at 12 p.m., and in the time before, there were mobile phones and uh, and 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 chatbots and everything. Then you you would you would then do everything to be there. I mean, <laughs> in some cases, you couldn't even call that person and and cancel the appointment. Nowadays, I think it's totally accepted if a day before you send a, a text message saying that I can't do this appointment. So I remember I mean, that book. I'm not sure if Charlotte remembers. That, the time <laughs> oh, I remember, of course. <laughs> I think Charlotte is too young to this, but uh, but but I'm I'm always saying so. Those standards might change over mm -hmm. time, and similar to business ethics as well. I think we will will obviously see an evolution over time in many of these things. But we got to start somewhere. And my call is let's start somewhere by looking at those five dimensions I mentioned, and then think about what we can do about them. I mean, this is such an interesting discussion, especially the whole evolution of, of this social responsibility, social acceptance. These are topics so relevant right now. How do you see the rise of, of social and, and environmental responsibilities affecting business ethics in, in the future, Burkhardt? I think it's a very good question, and I think it relates back to uh, a few of the dimensions that I mentioned, but one is clearly which products should be up for sale. Because what, what I clearly see is that when you think about um, environmental responsibility, then I think the answer to many things we do has to be that we produce less and we consume less and we, we have a, a, a smaller footprint in, in what we consume. Now, consuming less and producing less is totally against many businesses that at least I know of. And I think that will be one of the biggest challenges to businesses. So when you when you operate a business that's based on scale and growth, and the scale is based on bringing out more products and selling more products, how do you change that? How do you change your business purpose into a goal of selling less or selling or and maybe one answer could be that you need to enable circular economy and that you need to um, somehow manage that that you bring your products into a life cycle instead of throwing them away. And this goes with all the discussions around repair and serviceability of products, but also, I mean, I could, I could imagine a marketplace of used products. And then when you search for a product, um, let's say you search for uh, this glass here, then I'm sure there is thousands of people somewhere in the world that want to get rid of these glasses and they just have them in their basement and they won't get new glasses. But somebody else might look exactly for these glasses. And then, I mean, if you run them in the dishwasher and they are not too old, why don't bring them to somebody else instead of buying a new product? And that, that's a simple example. I think there's areas where we already do that. For example, kids' clothing. When you think about, uh, if you have kids, think about your, your, your circle of friends, then it's very common that you don't buy new clothes all the time, but you, you basically share clothes between families uh, because the kids grow so much and you need literally every five weeks you need new clothes. Um, so that's already there. So how, how about if we could elaborate this and evaluate or evolve this into um, all products that we need? Do you think that companies will be forced to do this via things like the availability of things like um, circuitry and chips for uh, things like mobile phones, where 
you know, I've just got a new iPhone 14 and it's actually not that different to the iPhone 13 because the differences are, are, are less and less. And maybe that's technology driven, maybe it's availability driven, but it's just interesting to see how that uh, companies probably be forced down that road. Certainly in the UK, the second hand car market is getting more and more valuable again because the production of cars uh, new are less available, the waiting times are longer. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, as I said earlier, I, I stopped my principle of being against regulation. So I think some things probably should be regulated. I mean, in this case, I could see a, a regulation that, that probably just focuses on internalizing all external costs for new products. And then if you would do that, then I think used products would, would just be more 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 viable from a business perspective or from an economic standpoint so people would probably more likely do that uh, i mean i know phone manufacturers already started selling uh, refurbished phones on their platforms um it, i think that that's a great starting point and i have one of these refurbished products here and it, it looked like a new one when it came yeah. here so it, i think that that totally makes sense um i think overall one of the things in ethics is also we need to inform the society around these things and then people will, will just demand those products similar that that i looked at, at those refurbished phones and i thought first of all it's a clear business case it's 20 or 30 percent less and secondly it's also environmentally friendly to do that brilliant thank you and um just moving back to one of the points you raised earlier around diversity and inclusion when we're talking about ethical business practices clearly people are play a big part in all of this um what's your what's your opinions on that yeah again a very good question and some people who know me since a few time know that i'm a big advocate for full diversity which goes beyond gender but it's basically and i i always uh, i always set these things in, in my books or publications, I, I call these teams hyper-diverse teams, which basically means that you really consider basically ages, uh, genders, uh, but also backgrounds of people, meaning the, the countries where people grew up obviously has a huge impact in how they think. Um, but also many other considerations like um, like uh, like university degrees versus non-university degrees, and then the, the the type of university degrees. We always when we search for business people, we try to hire people with a business degree, but in fact there might be other people who are equally qualified or even better. So I, I was always promoting these hyper diverse teams in any chance that I had in the corporate world, and I think to be honest, it will be one of the key success factors for organizations in the future, and especially because. The, the problems and the topics are getting more complex. And so in order to solve them, you just need a different, or you just need different perspectives. Like you, you just can't solve the problems of this complex world with the same mindset that you have, have been using in the past. Um, let me give you one example. I mean, when if you if you want to sell globally products, then you probably need to understand your customers. And obviously, Everybody talks about the US and Asia as big markets, but we have Africa just around the corner here in Europe. And I think if you want to sell a product to Africa, you probably hire people from there, uh, people who live there, so that they can tell you what customers really want. And they can tell tell it to you inside out and not just from reading an article 
And for example, I know very little about Africa. I know that, for example, mobile payments is super big in Africa. But if I want to sell a product there, hey, I would get my, sorry for the words, ass off and try to understand um, what what mobile payment really means. And then obviously Africa has has probably a dozens of countries that are leading in mobile payment, leading more than, than anywhere else in Europe or the US. So you probably look, need to look into all those countries and understand how mobile payment works. And I think that's one example of diversity. And obviously, we talk about globalization. We talk about businesses that want to scale in, in, in any markets in the future. So then you need to understand those things. Um, another example that comes to mind is there was an increasing number of people who work in part-time. Um, and obviously here in Europe, as we want to bring more people who raise kids back into work, um, then these people need to work in part-time. So, and, and one obvious thing is that you, you obviously need to adjust your business schedule for meetings so that you can comply with part-timers. Um, but then there's many other things. How do we um, promote people that work in part-time? You know, when we think of full-time people, and you think of 40 working hours a week, then in the past we used to promote people who work 50 hours. And not only because they work 50 hours, but just because they got more done. And when you get more done, then you're, you're qualified for the next level of the job. So how do we do that in part-time? Do we, if somebody works 24 hours, do we ask them to work 30 hours? <laughs> and, and, and how do we measure that? So I think there was a couple things that we just we just got started in discussing in the business world on how do we treat certain things. But those all go in the area of diversity and inclusion. Thank you so much for sharing, Burkhard, and uh, and just staying on, on this topic, especially I loved how you were talking about these hyper-diverse teams. And yes, I can confirm, since I was part of your team, how much emphasis and importance you put on these hyper-diverse teams. Um, maybe just to continue on that thought process and of course including my passion procurement and supply chain management um, how can businesses ensure that ethical practices um, are being followed through in the supply chain and and with the partners and vendors yeah that's that's a very good question too and indeed i think it's one of the biggest challenges especially given that the supply chain impact is, depending on the industry, and you know that better than I, between 20% and 80%. So in some industries, you have 80% of the value creation that comes from, from previously pro from products that are manufactured somewhere else. So how do you do that? I think a couple of considerations. Um, first of all, you need to define your ethical standards in your business and in your corporation very clearly and very tangibly. And then you need to bring them to your suppliers and you need to negotiate with your suppliers that they adhere to these standards. And that obviously, depending on your negotiation power, it might be more difficult or less difficult. If you are a big corporation and everybody wants to do business with you, that might be easy. But if you're small, then I think you really need to negotiate not on the back of pure terms, but on the back of the the necessity of doing of changing the business operations into ethical operations, and that your customers actually demand that. And then you really need to probably press this, these buttons at your suppliers. Um, secondly, I think it's also about monitoring, and I think there's a couple of good monitoring tools around that help you in in understanding, let's say, the carbon footprint of your other KPIs. 
I think you you need to use that, and especially for those suppliers where you don't have one-on-one relations, those thousands of tail-end suppliers that that probably you, you don't even know them or you don't even talk to. And I think there you need to use monitoring tools. And you also need to be be willing to pay a higher price in order to choose those suppliers that follow your standards over, over others. Yeah, it makes complete sense. And it's certainly what we've been seeing out in the marketplaces as well, where, again, a lot of this is customer driven, isn't it? Where businesses, customers will vote for their feet. Businesses will then have to provide ethical and more ethical uh, regulations or show what they're doing. Certainly, we've seen that in procurement supply chain, right down to the fact where businesses are starting to see more and more information at buyer level. So end users will be able to see if they're going to make a choice just on raising a purchase order. They can see a choice between different suppliers and the ethical ratings of those suppliers. That's being pushed more and more through to end user level so they can make that informed choice. Now, that's driving it at a sort of financial commercial level. What do you see governments and regulations from more of a, you know, overall um, regulation level coming to play on this? Certainly country by country, I expect. But yeah, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts there. So I think it's a very good question around regulation and especially given that there is probably a chance right now where many buyers that make purchasing decisions are not that informed and where standards that we discussed are not common across the industry. And then regulation will play a role in setting those standards and helping suppliers and buyers to make decisions based on ethical standards and at least defining a minimum set of standards that should be there. Uh, I think one of the good thing is there was a supply chain law uh, raised by the European Union that's currently transferred into local laws in, in many countries. And, and this is very strict in a sense that you need to know the the supply chain standards of of your of your previous suppliers and you need to be able to document them and i think although this is a lot of paperwork and a lot of electronic work for many corporations it's in essence a good thing because it forces the corporations to really think about their supply chains i think on the long run when i talk to younger people out there younger than the three of us here in the group um especially students at universities like ESMT or the Frankfurt Business School, then uh, many people actually are super considerate about ethics and they are super interested and super willing to to do that extra research to meeting those standards and to make the right purchasing decisions. So I'm not so worried about the future. I think in a couple of years we'll have a society where people are very aware and where people will, will make those decisions consciously and then over time regulation or until we are there regulation will help us to direct the society in the right direction. Thank you Burkhard for that answer and and just staying on 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 that aspect especially looking at examples for, for the society maybe you could just um um, it explained to me some examples or case studies. How do you see corporate social responsibility initiatives actually evolving in the future? Yeah, I think that's a good thing and a good question, especially because um, when we looked in the past, then we obviously had big corporations who published um, social responsibility reports as part of their annual reports. Um, Nowadays, uh, what, what I see happening is that more and more small and mid-sized companies 
focus on these topics. So they they either copied certain principles in the market or they really had a conscious decision around what corporate social responsibility means to them and then bring this into their operations. Um, and that's obviously true for 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 all the dimensions that that we discussed earlier. I think the second aspect I want to mention is that um, really bringing out corporate social responsibility as a wider topic is one of the key things that I see. Because in the past, we used to think about social responsibility as a sustainability play. And going forward, I think there is many more dimensions like diversity, like inclusion, um, but also uh, the, 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 the hard ethical aspects on is my business set up for doing something for the greater good? Is my business really helping the society transform to the greater good? I think those things, I see the organizations and the companies evolve. And I think those discussions I currently see happening. And I'm super excited about this. It's, yeah, it's interesting to see how this will all evolve. Um, the next question might be a, a little bit more um, subjective because we wanted to ask really about the role of transparency in promoting ethical business practices. Now, when we see... Uh, some of the ESG policies come out, we've seen things like greenwashing. So if, do you think there'll be something like um, ESG washing that might come up, um, come as a sort of a practice that might uh, companies might employ with this? Yeah, again, this is really, as you said, a very subjective, not only question, but also answer from my side, because mm. um, I don't, I have not done a full study around um how, how business ethics, these topics are really implemented and followed up into organizations. And when you think about the effort it takes to really implement those ethical considerations throughout the whole organization and throughout all business units, then obviously I think there is a risk that some of the business units will just declare some things that happen which not happen. And I think uh, overall, um, it, it has to start with a ethical leadership. I think it has to start with a CEO who has very clear values and really drives them through his direct leadership and then the whole organization and, and then really follows up. Um, I, I firmly believe that um, the, the CEO of a company is the person who should advocate for this and who can drive the change of the corporation. And I think we, we, we have seen great cases in the past where this has not happened. I would really be curious to see one of the first Fortune 500 who really turns around into a fully ethical business. And I think, and I make a bet here, we'll probably see that in the next three years happening. And then that would be super exciting. Burkhard, and, and last question for you, just for some best practice sharings and, and giving some tips to our listeners. What steps can businesses actually take to build a culture of ethics and ensure that ethical practices are being also ingrained in, in companies' values and daily operations? Yeah, when we start with this, then obviously the, the first consideration is you've got to define the concrete implementation of what does ethics mean. And um, one of the dimensions that we can always take as a good example is pricing. So one of the discussions around ethics is um, 
what is a what is a proper price and is the price dependent on the value of the product or on the production costs or on the margin and then is the price different from country to country or even different from customer group to customer group and many people would say that this if you will dynamic pricing is considered as appropriate as long as people know about it so when you think about it if you sell a product to a wholesaler then you probably sell at a different price than to an end customer and that's probably something that is appropriate to do what's probably not appropriate is if you sell a product at a different price to an iphone user than to an android user because you think that an iphone user is willing or capable to buy a higher to pay a higher price so i think that that's that's an example of of and pricing obviously is is at the heart of many companies because it touches product management it touches sales it touches marketing so to your question i think you really got to implement this across the organization and then foster these kind of discussions and one best practice that i used to tell my customers is that i, su I suggest them to implement a so-called corporate responsibility or corporate moral board and this board is a cross-functional team of experts in the company that really oversees those ethical considerations. Those are, there are people in from sales, from marketing, from product management, uh, from production, from procurement, obviously, from finance, from HR, from all business functions. And then they basically look at selected cases and define answers that are globally valid for this corporation. And then those cases can be, if you will, blueprints for any other similar case. And take the example of pricing. If you, let's say you run a multi-billion business, globally active, hundreds of product lines, I guess you don't need to define this for each and every product. I think you can say, we as ethical board we look at one specific product and we look at, let's say, five markets, and then we define what our company thinks about pricing, about ethical pricing. And then you can take this again as a blueprint. And once you have a strong leadership, you can make sure you roll it out throughout the whole organization and ask all other business functions and, and areas to comply with these standards and to apply them in a similar way. Burkhard, thank you so much. This has uh, been fantastic information and I really think you're ahead of the curve, ahead of the game with something that's going to become more and more important for every single business. So um, once again, do you just want to mention the name of your book um, and where people can get it from so we can get that? We will put links obviously in the descriptions, but just, just I think it's something that everyone needs to read uh, that's interested in business, obviously. Yeah, I would agree. And uh, the book is called Change Ship. Uh, building and scaling next generation businesses in the digital polypole and it obviously is touches much wider aspects than business ethics but when you read the book throughout the book there is there's a big chapter about ethics but there is many left and right considerations throughout the book uh, about ethical considerations and i think it's a great starting point for any leader to raise awareness and to just get the thought process going and then get obviously a few very concrete tips around how to set up operations and how to change businesses. Burger, thank you for your time today and uh, for all your insights and, and tips. And especially to our listeners, thank you so much for joining in. And once again, it's been a great pleasure to host you and we look forward to the next podcast. Thank you, Burkhard. Thank you so much, Charlotte and Max. Global Business Insights Podcast from PS Learning. 
featuring your hosts, Dr. Charlotte de Brabant and Max Kent.